Good morning, Mars family. I have to look at you all. I've missed you. Yes, yes. Summer's flying by very quickly. If you have your Shed Bible today, turn to page 343. This morning we're going to be in 2 Kings, chapter 7, verses 3 through 11. 2 Kings, chapter 7, verses 3 through 11. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate, and they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live, and if they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and they ate and they drank. They took silver and gold and clothes, and they went off and they hid them. They returned and entered another tent, and also took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and they called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went to the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Mars Hill. It's good to be with you all again. And we find ourselves back in 2 Kings in the middle of a story that stretches back to where we left off when I was here preaching in June. And so apparently this is the summer of 2 Kings for me. And I guess we'll find out if we go three for three when I'm back preaching again in August. But I want to take us back to the summer of 2002. It was a good year, a good summer. For when I look back now, that summer seemed to last forever, as the songwriter says. But the summer of 2002 was the first summer that I attended Mars Hill Bible Church. I would come out here with a group of friends in the evening, and then we would return to my friend's house because her mother would make us a delicacy of grilled cheese sandwiches and percolator coffee. 
and we would linger and hang out in the kitchen because the kitchen is where the action happens. The kitchen is where important conversations take place. The kitchen is where informal and formal family meetings happen. It's where schedules are posted, where art is hung on the refrigerator. It's where wounds are mended with ice packs, where people are fed, where stories are shared and problems are solved. It's where, at least for me, the day starts with a cup or two or three of coffee and ends with dishes cleaned and the counters sort of wiped. And at least in my household growing up, the refrain of my father, kitchens closed, spoken out loud. The kitchen is the center. And here this morning, we are thrown into the middle of a story, the center of it, we could say, both its textual center and its geographical or locational center. We are placed at the city gates with four people. And much like the kitchen, the city gates served as the center of the cultural and communal life in ancient Israel. Here is a picture of what a sort of city gate looked like, probably around the time that this story may have been told. This is uh, the city of Dan, a for- another fortified city similar to Samaria. And the gate was the place of public assembly, where people gathered together. It was the place where justice was administered, as the prophet Amos speaks. It's where stories and gossip were told, as the psalmist laments. It's where legal and commercial transactions took place, as we see in the book of Ruth, where Boaz comes to the city gate to redeem Ruth. And it's why perhaps Moses, in instructing the people of Israel just as they're about to cross into the promised land, as is recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, did you think you were going to get out of here without one Deuteronomy reference from me? Where Moses speaks the words, You are to write these things upon your gates, the city gates. Because they are the place that is the center of their lives. And these words that Moses speaks is to remind them as they gather together, as they administer justice, as stories are told, as they go about their commercial and legal transactions, that they are supposed to be a particular kind of people, a people shaped by the love of God. And in this story, these gates also serve as the textual center. For here is where the story hinges. It's where it 
turns, where a shift takes place. For as we back up to the beginning of the story, all the way back in chapter 6, verse 24, if you have a Bible with you, we discover where we left off in the month of June that the king of Aram no longer sent raiding armies into Israel because the king of Israel had shown hospitality to his troops. But that peace didn't last forever. And now Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, which sounds like a great name for a villain in a Marvel movie, has laid siege to the city of Samaria and was common during siege warfare practices. A famine has struck the city. For if you can't break through the city walls and the city gates, you essentially starve your enemy to death, forcing them out of the city. And things have gotten so bad, as the text tells us. And to borrow a line from Denise's teaching a handful of weeks ago, how bad is it? So bad that people are buying things that they never would have conceived of purchasing before at prices they cannot afford. A donkey's head, culturally impure, something you never would have thought of purchasing, nonetheless eating, and dove's dung, as some translators put it, or the husk of a carob pod, unedible part of it, purchasing these at extravagant prices. And worse yet, matters have gotten so bad that two mothers have struck a deal with each other. Today, we will eat my child, and tomorrow, we will eat yours. Can you imagine the depth of desperation and resignation that has come upon the people. And we hear this in the voice of the king of Israel in chapter 6, verse 33. When speaking to the prophet Elisha, he says, Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Why should I still hope in the Lord? Look around you. How can it get any worse than this? What is hope going to do? What is prayer going to do in this situation? This demonstrates the hopelessness and desperate times that are upon them. For there's a famine and people are paying tons of money for essentially garbage. 
And spiritually, the community is wasting away as well, for there is no hope. And it's here at this place, from the conversation between the high and mighty, the king and the prophet, that the scene shifts, that we are brought from high to low, where there are four people with a skin disease sitting at the city gates, weighing their options of what seems like a lose-lose situation, similar to the women earlier in the story, similar to the king, a lose-lose situation. If we stay here at the gates or we try to enter into the city, we will die. And if we go over to the Aramean camp, we may also die. They're sitting at the gates, weighing their options outside of a city that is on lockdown because they have a skin disease. They're outsiders, and they cannot enter the city. And in order to understand why they can't enter this city, we need to get a picture of Old Testament holiness code from the book of Leviticus. What Leviticus is structured in a way to shape the sort of worshiping life of the community, that what serves God and allows for the health and the flourishing of the community is written down in the book of Leviticus. And in chapter 13, the nature of skin diseases, all variety of skin diseases is taken up. But here at the end of this little section on skin diseases, it says this, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be, kept, be unkempt. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp. And so these four men with skin disease must remain outside the camp even as the city is in lockdown and in under siege, in some ways serving as sacrificial lambs to the Aramans. And so they decide to risk it to take their chances with the Aramaeans as we heard in the text as it was read this morning because they know there's no chance that they will be allowed back into the city. They are outsiders. They are kept at an arm's length. And so they head out to the Aramean camp at dusk, inching closer and closer, looking for the enemy, and they find no one. Not a single person, for the Lord has gotten involved 
and caused the Arameans to hear the sound of the chariots and horses and a great army, and they flee. And I can only imagine that upon wandering into this empty camp and finding all of this food and clothing and gold and silver, their first response is to go like Scrooge McDuck and dive into a pile of money. They stuff their pockets with it. They feast upon the food. But then, and here is the line that I think the whole story turns upon. The center of the center in some ways. They say to one another, what we are doing is not right. Today is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. And so they decide to return to the city. And where do they return to? The gates. Because the gates are where the action happens. The gates are the place where you share good news, where news ripples out into the city like ripples on a pond. But here is one of my curiosities. Why didn't the lepers those with this skin disease, take what they could and run? Why didn't they bury it under the cover of darkness and return to the city gates as if nothing had happened? Because who's going to go looking for us four men with skin disease? Who's going to be concerned about them? Why didn't they just hide it and take their chances that way. For even upon returning to the city, they still can't enter into it. And so as one commentator puts it, the lepers save the city that they cannot even enter. I think they return because they are witnesses. They return because they understand that something miraculous has happened. They have witnessed something so decisive, so transformative, that the only thing they can possibly consider doing is returning and bearing witness to the way that God had acted in the lives of the people. They are witnesses in the traditional sense, like the ones who take the stand in the courtroom. They bear witness to what they have seen and what they have heard. For they did not choose this task for themselves. They didn't decide to be witnesses to this event, but it came upon them. 
And it's a task that they must take up for it was given to them by God. They are witnesses to who God is and how God has acted. And that in God's acts, God is with and for creation and the world and God's people. They are witnesses. The ones who were at the gates, kept at an arm's length, now bear witness at those very gates. The ones whose presence was not good news, now come bearing good news for the sake of the city. Who is at our gates? Who is at our gates? Who is at the gates of our city? Who's at the gates of our church that we would rather keep at an arm's length? Whose very presence we suspect is not good news? Who sits on the outside that God might be calling to bring some unthinkable good news to us, good news about who God is and how God acts in the world. Now, these four outsiders would prefigure, they would foreshadow, they would point to another group of outsiders. Another group who out in the hill country would hear some good news that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. These four outsiders would prefigure a group of outsiders, some young women who would stumble upon an empty tomb and would rush back bearing the good news, he is not here, he is risen. You see, it seems to me that throughout Scripture, it's those who are on the margins, who have been entrusted with the message of God's decisive action for the sake of the world, and they're the ones who have the courage to share it. In all of these cases, it's the outsiders those with a skin disease considered impure, the uneducated shepherd children, the young adult women who have been overlooked, who come bringing the good news for the sake of the world. They have proclaimed what they've seen and what they've heard. They are witnesses. And so, Mars Hill, a few curiosities. First, who is at our gates? 
Who's at the gates of our church and who's at the gates of your heart? Longing to enter in, to bring and to share some good news. Second, what might it look like for us as a community to see and hear what good news our kids and students might have to share with us? And not indirectly through someone speaking it from the platform, not indirectly through the email, although those are good pathways, but directly face-to-face, what might it look like for you to hear some good news from an unlikely source? One of the beautiful things about this stage of my four-year-old right now that I'm afraid is too quickly fleeting is that he likes to ask questions and then answer them right away for himself. And one of the, the testimonies that he gives at this time is he asks these questions. Who's the king? Jesus. Who's the boss? Jesus. He says it just like that. He's bearing witness in his own little way to who the sovereign ruler of the world is. And sometimes I think that I can overcomplicate the good news to which I've been called, to which I bear witness, and I need that simple question, who's the king? Jesus, to remind me and to speak and to breathe some good news into my life. A third curiosity. I wonder what it might look like for us as a community to bear witness to our kids and students. For we are Christ's witnesses. We are the ones whom God has called in the person of Jesus to bear witness in our lives and in our world. It is we as God's people. We as the church exist as those who have been called out. We have been summoned to witness For the church does not exist outside of this sacred calling. The church exists as people who bear witness. And just like the four with skin disease that we hear and see in our story today, this is not something we have chosen for ourselves. But God has chosen us to be Christ's witnesses and have been enabled to do so through the Holy Spirit. For as we hear in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare, you may testify, you may bear witness, we could say, to the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. For this is a life. This is a year. This is a month. This is a week. This is a day. This is an hour, a minute of good news. For Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we have been transformed. And we are a new creation. And death has been overcome. And the dividing wall of hostility has broken down. And we are loved. And we are welcomed home. And are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we keeping it to ourselves? What might it look like for us to understand our existence, our Christian existence, only as ones of bearing witness? But maybe for you this morning, you find yourself in a place much like the inhabitants of the city speaking words similar to the king of Israel, why should I hope any longer? Why should I have any prayer? Why should I wait on the Lord anymore? And you need some good news to come from the city gates. Well, then come to our center. Come to our center, one that we come to every week, this table. For it is a table of good news, a table that proclaims whether you are old or young, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are sick or healthy, whether you have little faith or great faith, whether you have been called an outsider or you believe you're an insider. This table is the center and it says, come. For this table is Christ's table. It's his action in the church and it's a preview It's a foretaste, it's a picture of that great day when those heavenly gates will swing wide and all of God's children, all of the saints will come and feast in the kitchen of the Lamb. And so come. And so, Mars Hill, I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. 
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so we pray, holy and right it is in our joyful duty to give you thanks and praise at all times and in all places, O Lord our God, almighty and everlasting creator. For you created the earth with all of its plenty. And you created the heavens in all of their splendor. And you have given us life and breath in your creation. And you demonstrated the fullness of your love in sending your son Jesus Christ to be the one who reconciles us and all creation to yourself. And so we join our voices with all the heavenly hosts, praising and blessing your glorious name. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that the bread that we break and the cup that we bless would be to us the communion of the body and the blood of Christ, and that in receiving these gifts, we may be joined to him and to your church all around the earth. And just as grains from many fields have been gathered into one loaf, and grapes from many vineyards into one cup. May you too gather your church into your kingdom. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. And so we rehearse the story that has been passed down to us, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they had feasted, He took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So whenever we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so come, come all you who are hungry, come all you who are thirsty, come all of you who need to taste and see some good news, come all you witnesses, come and testify to the goodness of God. There are elements around the room 
They're all allergen-free. If you would like someone to pray with you, we have people in the back here who would love to pray with you. Or you may write a prayer and stick it in one of our prayer walls and our staff will be praying for you. And so let us tell the story that churches around the world speak today. Three simple phrases that remind us of this good news to which we testify, to which we bear witness, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come. All things are ready.